Then I will tell you a great secret, Captain. Perhaps the greatest of all time. The molecules of your body are the same molecules that make up this station. And the nebula outside that burn inside the stars themselves. We are star stuff. We are the universe made manifest, trying to figure itself out. But as we have both learned, sometimes the universe requires a change of perspective. Trapped at the edge of the universe. We can't find our way out of hyperspace. Lost between hope and death. No ship lost in hyperspace has ever been found again. Destiny awaits on an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the Great Council. there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 of babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are a group of newbies and those who have watched the show all the way through watching each episode week to week and we are on to season two episode four a distant star i am scott and with me as always is blake emily jesse nicole justin john andrew kevin and mike and all before we get into the riveting episode that is a distant star reminder to everyone whether you're listening to us or watching on youtube to make sure you like and subscribe and follow and whatever buttons you have available to you and please also leave us a review the reviews really help to uh spread the word on the podcast and we greatly appreciate it we got another review in on apple uh reviews and that is charleston in canada oh canada he says, first ones and first timers, great idea. Babylon 5 first aired nearly 30 years ago, and some of us have watched this show enough to be able to recite whole scenes from the well-written, well-cast, and groundbreaking TV show. He obviously is not talking about a distant star. It's easy to forget what a unique experience it was to see this epic novel for television for the first time. This podcast allows both veterans and first timers the chance to see the story unfold again. When you watch a student discover something as uh somebody's a student i wonder who he's referring to as the student but when you watch a student discover something and a light goes off behind their eyes as they make the connection it brings back the wonder of the first time you made a discovery that changed your world that's what this is like on the genre of rewatch therapy podcast brings to the table but with a cast of interesting characters that are willing to share their first thoughts and raw opinions publicly. There are more than a few times where a participant in the show noticed a detail that I have not seen before. This makes it possible for me to encounter Babylon 5 for the first time, which is this cool thing after 30 years. The crew just completed the first season, and I'm really looking forward to all the discussions of the good and the bad episodes and stories that are yet to come. Thank you, Charleston. We appreciate the review, and thanks to everyone. We're actually up to 24 reviews now on Apple iTunes or whatever you want to call it. So we appreciate it. And actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna juice things a little bit. So the guys on the podcast know I have been 
starting to collect the old Babylon 5 action figures, and I have found that when I buy in bulk, I get them for cheaper. So that means I have an extra John Sheridan, and I am going to give a John Sheridan action figure to a random person who sends us a review in the next two weeks. So two episodes from now, I will read a review on that episode, and that reviewer will get the John Sheridan action figure that is sitting here on my desk. So please review on Apple, iTunes, and we will be able to catch it. And regardless of what country you're from, we will see them all. So go to Apple, give us a review, and you may be able to pick up that nearly 30-year-old piece of plastic that is beautiful along with the reviews and uh liking and subscribing we do have our patreon patreon.com slash gray 17 podcast we got a few new patrons uh just pop up a few days ago so we really do appreciate it and we really appreciate our great council those at the highest tier who serve as our producers and they are listed in the show notes below uh also uh consider joining if you're not already the facebook group we have such a lively discussion um a lot of good subtle roasting there as well which i always enjoy um, some of our members are super duper uh, insightful. Um, Alex, I think it's bomb, boom. I'm not exactly sure how to. Alexander. Pronounce. Yeah. Um, always post such insightful uh, questions that really get a good conversation going. So we really appreciate it, but it's, it's also a good spot to share hilarious memes and uh, it's just been a really nice community. So if you're not already a part of the Facebook group, I encourage you to please go look up the gray 17 podcast, Facebook group and become a member which the link is in the show notes as well as our Twitter and our Instagram. Okay. Let's go ahead and dive in guys into a distant star. And I believe Justin has a synopsis for us. Justin, tell us about a distant star. Excellent. Captain Jack Maynard comes to Babylon five with the Cortez, an exploration vessel from the rim, making Sheridan miss being out in space and question if the station is the right fit for him or even the place that he really wants to be. When the Cortez ends up stranded in hyperspace, it's a race against the clock to rescue the ship and its crew, but but adding more confusion as to be as to who might be out there and who might be behind the stranding. Meanwhile, Franklin is trying to get the senior officers to eat different food plans, and Delenn is struggling for acceptance from her own people and maybe even to some degree herself. I have one correction for you, Justin. Not yeah. only does the Cortez show up. It shows up with his own cheesy theme music. I didn't notice that. How I didn't do you not notice that music. theme music? They <laughs> play it every time that damn all. ship is on the screen. Really overused in the episode. It really? wasn't even that I, good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and get into our first impressions, and we will go with Emily first. First impressions on A Distant Star. Um. So I had to pause reading an amazing book. Just going to throw it out there. It's All Saints Hotel and Cocktail Lounge by Nathan Monk. Super great book. Yeah, I kind of wish I had just kept reading the book. It would have been better. <laughs> I I don't know if I was just having a day or what, but I'm finding Sheridan's voice really grating. So this could be a really long, what, four seasons? And I was actually really disappointed in the episode because I felt like we got a lot of good information about the shadow species but it was in an episode with just kind of a just bad acting and some weird plot lines that took away from it. Jesse, first impressions. I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking hated it. Every bit of it. I hated the whole freaking episode. Um, 
I did not enjoy it. I would say two out of 10. Um, it was not the pace that we've been at for the last, I would say five ish episodes. I definitely was not engaged. There were parts of it that kind of irritated the shit out of me. Dr. Franklin for this first time. Um, I was like, Oh, this dude oversteps his, his place basically every episode, but the whole diet thing really just rubbed me the entire wrong way. And the hypocritic, the the hypocrisy, I guess, is what I want to say at the end where he decided that uh, he would just join in after spending the whole episode talking shit to people irritated me. Uh, What else irritated me? Well, we can talk about more of it later, but um, I would not recommend. Nicole, you are always our happy fun one. Well, (laughs) not not today, friends. (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. Usually my optimistic, positive demeanor will find a silver lining and find something enjoyable, even if the episode is super shitty. This one, I got to say, I just couldn't I couldn't get on board. Um, I probably would say this is my least favorite. Um, I think even some of the shitty ones from season one were better than this. I have a lot of things to say um, to point out about what (laughs) I think. But I'll save that for as we get into the discussion. But I did write down a couple good quotes um, from the episode. Uh, But other than that, besides a couple good lines here and there, I could really just have gone without watching this episode. Justin. I guess there's not really much else left to say. But yeah, I mean, it's a total bummer filler episode other than the you know, learning some interesting things about the the Zaha Dumis, the shadow people. And and I, I liked Ivanova's reactions to her diet plan. Other than that, not a really whole lot to be excited about. You, you know, after reading uh, her, Claudia's autobiography, I could feel the pain of that diet plan because that woman went through a lot when it came to modeling. So when she said there's not an ounce of fat on her, she means it. Yeah. John, first impression. Yeah, look, I've been saying Franklin sucks for a hot minute in this episode. <laughs> confirmed it so like, the only it was this was a hate watch episode i as i was yeah. going you know i so a part of me wanted to like it because so we've got sharon right he's new we have to we haven't spent a season with him like we did sinclair so we have to still get to know him who he is and his background and, and all of that however the episode itself just felt so uneven like one minute he'd be he was like there'd be a scene he was joking laughing and the very next scene all of a sudden he's super pissed off. Like he was walking with Garibaldi and it looked like he wanted to punch him. And then he was joking about what it just, it was all over the place. I got to say, I, I, they're clearly trying to Kefir or however you pronounce the star fury, the, the Kefir, you're right. Don't care about those guys so far. and hated them being a part of it. Like dive into the minutia of it as we get the discussion going, but just nothing about this episode was enthralling or captivating. Uh, to Emily's point, some of the acting was, I literally laughed out loud. It was bad in some instances. This is just one that I'm surprised. Um, you know, we've talked about season one a lot and a lot of people have mentioned, yo, man, there's really bad episodes in season one, really bad. How the hell have we gone this far? And no one's like, wait till you hit that clunker in season two. Cause I right. can't, anyone likes this episode. I, the Babylon five for the first time guys, you know, how much they love TKO. I would really want to know. I haven't listened to their episode of this, but if they even liked this episode, cause oh, they don't like season two yet there. Um, I was w- looking at their Twitter yesterday. Cause I got tagged on, we got tagged on it. And, and they fat out said, I thought you all said season two was good. What's <laughs> happening. <laughs> so that's where they're at. 
<laughs> the season, the first three episodes weren't bad. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed it so far. This one is just, it stands out so much compared to the other ones. So Andrew, you're up. I wouldn't say I hated this episode. Like I, I like, yes, it, it was a filler episode, but like the subplot with Dr. Franklin and the, the food plans or diets, whatever you want to call them. I just kind of took that for what it was just a comedic B plot while everyone's dying out in hyperspace. Right. One thing I wanted to go ahead and point out just right off the bat for West Side Story fans, Captain Maynard is played by uh, blanking on his name, but he was Riff in West Side Story. Russ Holy Tamblin. shit. Russ Tamblin. Right. Yes. Did he act better in West Side Story? Yeah. Yes. Seriously. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he looked like he was like on Saturday Night Live reading off cue cards the it entire was damn so episode. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> Would I go back and rewatch it? No. Okay, let's go to our uh, first ones. Now, Kevin, I've been watching you make faces as people have been dogging this episode. So you're up first. I, I don't hate this episode. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Yes, it has problems. I, I absolutely agree with a lot of what's been said. But first of all, this is one of those episodes that must have had a preview on one of my TNG VHS tapes, because I remember the... Uh, the the preview of this episode uh very strongly so i know i've seen that before um and i always thought that getting lost in hyperspace was a really interesting concept that that no other science fiction that i can i can recall at least up until this point um had done quite in this way um the hyperspace in babylon 5 works a lot differently than others so uh i thought I thought that was kind of an interesting and unique concept in science fiction, but yes, uh, the acting, especially by the guest stars and Russ Hamlin in particular in this episode is rather abysmal. Uh, the B plot was um, not good. One of the uh, comments that Franklin makes uh, is especially bad, but as, as a, as an episode, this is not going to be at the bottom of my, of my list like it is obviously going to be for some of you crew. Um, I, I don't hate this episode, but I very much, maybe part of that is also because I'm biased because it's written by DC Fontana, but uh, it I don't hate it. It's definitely not going to be at the bottom of my list. Like it's going to be for a lot of you, apparently. I would what? rather have watched TK, TKO than this fucking episode. Ooh, wow. Yeah. I think I agree I, with you. I think I feel like acting... you got more out of TKO. This one was fucking workless. At oh, least with TKO, you got Ivanova's story. That right. was good. This oh, is what, good. A, what about the character insight into Sheridan in, the, in this episode? I thought that was valuable. He cleaned his desk. Okay. <laughs> I like Sheridan. I have two action figures of him currently. Yeah. And nothing was in this episode that I enjoyed. Mike. <laughs> What do you got for first impressions? Uh, so I like this episode. Hey, you hey, just right. this like five um, minutes ago too. That probably helps. It's fresh. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I get, I get absolutely all of the criticism. Well, I should say all. I get most of the criticisms. I think you know we're back to the season one days of like the the guest actors all being super wooden and just not good actors at all. Which uh, I say that, but then uh, who was that? Was the Orwell the? Uh, the black marketeer uh yeah he was fun yeah he was fun and he also has like more imdb credits than anyone else on the show <laughs> it's incredible uh 
But no, um, if I think back on Babylon 5, for whatever reason, the ship stranded in hyperspace and, and encountering the unknown shadow ship is something that comes to mind. And so it's clearly this episode left an impression on me the first time I saw it long, long, long time ago. Um, you know, and beyond that, it's a big old space mystery, which we've established I like. And then uh, the B and C plots both suck. So there you go. <laughs> Blake, what do you got? So I'm going to round out the first ones here and say, I don't hate this episode either. Wow. And and some of that is, you know, first, it, and it's been a while, Scott, since we've talked about reading JMS's book. So I'm going to throw that back in here. Please. You know, he talks pretty openly about the sci-fi he read and the writers that influenced him as an escape from his own life. And I think this is one of those episodes where you really see that come through. Um, there are, you know, homages to Harlan Ellison in here, to Carl Sagan in this episode with some of the dialogue and scripting. I will perfectly grant you some of the acting in this is not great, but the story writing, the pieces that JMS put in there from his influences uh, with specifically with those two, I think it made for a decent story. I think we did get a little bit more into the shadow activity, putting those pieces together. Um, and as far as the Franklin criticism, I'm just going to say, you know, I don't know what doctors y'all are seeing, but I half the ones I go to, if I walked in with a limb missing, they're going to want to talk to me about my weight and diet. So for me, I have no real criticism on Franklin for that, because that's just part of going to the freaking doctor. I feel this. Yeah, I wrote that in my notes, too. It, he he was acting like your your typical judgy doctor in this uh, old school doctor in this one. So, yeah, I, I, I would have to agree with Blake on that one, other than his very troubling comment. Which you, you've alluded to the comment twice now, Kevin. Put us out of our misery. Which comment? Is it expanding uh, borders? What's the comment and why do you agree with it? Uh, <laughs> no, it was, it, it was it was a funny line from Ivanova. She said, you know, I've, I've been fighting imperialism all my life. Yeah. And uh, now, look, I'm the expanding Russian frontier. And he goes, with very nice borders. It's like, oh, no. Yeah, I caught that. Too. I mean, he's right, oh, but. <laughs> like, me too, violation. <laughs> The guy who's a fan of Friends wants to talk about cringy dialogue in a yeah, 90s. No hey, hey, I'm not the only Kevin, fan of Friends on here, okay? Yeah. So, real quick on my first impressions, Mike, I'm kind of with you that I do remember this episode more than most. And I think it's because of we get to see hyperspace for the first uh, hyperspace. We get to see all that for the first time. But um, this episode is not good. I'll be the one first one who says it's not good. Nothing really comes of this episode in terms of character development. Sure, we get to see Sheridan clean up his desk and realize maybe it's okay to be there. Okay, we, we've already kind of seen that a couple times already. And without saying much, we will see it a couple more times again. I, I think it's completely cringy every time the Explorer class sh ship shows up and we're supposed to be in awe of it. And so we get its own theme song, a brand new piece of music that's never been played before. Every time it's wow. And I, it, this is written by DC Fontana and I can definitely feel the old TOS cheesy jokes throughout, especially the Garibaldi subplot with Franklin. And it just doesn't hit for me at all. Um, I will say we get a little bit of uh, scientific info about um, how ships move and everything, which is kind of fun, but not worth the whole episode on that. Let's go ahead and dive in. Nicole, what do you got? Okay, so just a couple things. The very first thing I want to point out is Big Daddy Sinclair would have went into hyperspace with the fighters because he was a badass. So 
I just want to point that out. He was also a Star Fury pilot, so. I'm just still a little biased. I, I'm still warming up to Sheridan. <laughs> I miss Sinclair, but just want to point that out. A couple things I liked about the episode. Sheridan was talking to Maynard and he said that B5 was big, beautiful and crazy. I really liked that. I thought that was like kind of the perfect description of B5. I also liked the quote that he said, where adventure is out there, you just got to go meet it. I thought that was really cool. Those are two of the most valuable things I got from the whole episode. I did think the whole Garibaldi Franklin thing was kind of funny, like, because I've been told by doctors, you have to cut this out. And I'm like, really? I'm not cutting caffeine or salt out. You can just kiss my ass, you know, but I thought that was kind of funny. I did think it was problematic when he basically sexually harassed Ivanova, even though she is hot. She shouldn't be sexually harassed, especially by her doctor. It was kind of cool that there was some confirmation on the creepy shadow murder ships from other people. Um, so it's not just Jakar who saw it and or, or the Narn or whatever. So I guess maybe this falls into prediction, but I think they're starting to expose themselves to more people to be like, yo, motherfuckers, we're here. So um, that's all I got. So on the Ivanova Franklin thing, I'm going to get some YouTube comments on this one, but it's, we, 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 we already got somebody saying that it was, you know, inappropriate. And you actually said it was sexual harassment. These guys are friends and she started the joke. I she mean, started the joke. So yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, yeah, it was a little cheesy humor. Yes. But I feel like that's some shit we would say. To exactly. Like yeah. so oh, if that's I'm sexual always... harassment, uh, uh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> This I mean, entire I, group is a sexual harassment. I mean, whenever I get together with Scott, I comment that he's keeping it tight. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I talk about Mike's borders all the time. Maybe, maybe sexual harassment was inaccurate, but the the cheesy sexual innuendo, like the first episode that we ever watched, where oh, it was God. just filled with disgustingly cheesy sexual innuendo, it kind of reminded me of that. So that's fair. John, what do you got? Um, so real quick, so Mike, uh, Miguel Nunez was the guest star you're talking about, or as I like to refer to him as Biscuit from Life. I don't know if you've ever seen that comedy, but hilarious. Yeah. I did I did enjoy him being in there. Nicole, to your point, it's funny, I wrote that down. So I actually thought it was a positive that Sheridan didn't run off uh, headfirst into danger like Sinclair did. We, I guess I'll say myself, I mean, I gave Sinclair a lot of shit from season one, like, oh, at any point in time, there's something going on. Guess who's the first to jump in? Sinclair. So I actually was happy to see that dichotomy of the, the two captains. I, it's, it's funny. I didn't have a problem with Franklin's comment, except that I just didn't think it was that funny. As we're going through this and watching these week by week, I... I, I'm realizing where all the characters are as we get into these earlier episodes still. And so I'm trying to watch them without having my blinders on of what comes next. And of all the main characters in this show, Franklin is not being written well so far. I completely agree with you on that. And I don't think it's Biggs, the actor. I think he is a great actor. I think he's doing whatever he can. He's just getting nothing to work with right now. And well, so I can see why Franklin's your least favorite of all of this. Well, I'll give it to you, the actor. He's consistent, right? He is like, I know who he is in terms of, I don't know, that character, right? I mean, I, I, I know who he is. And I don't like it, but at least he, to your point, is he's been the same. Justin, we got. I thought really probably the most interesting thing to me was the Dylan storyline. Um, we got to are starting to get some little bit answers about, you know, because I know at one point we were questioning a lot about, well, how often does this happen within the Minbari people, this whole kind of concude transition thing. And it's starting to sound like it's something that's extremely super rare and maybe has not happened before in living memory, uh, because now she's getting questioned about 
her her own people are starting to doubt whether it, is, she, is she even still Mimbari anymore, and um, and she's kind of struggling with that. I guess maybe kind of identity crisis um, herself. And I think that especially if they're starting to maybe get the Gray 17 Council involved and stuff like that. So it turns out that Delenn is going through something very unique to her people and her own people don't even know how to ha- really handle it. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes forward from here. Justin, I love the plug you just gave, by the way, the Gray 17 Council. <laughs> That's great. Oh, my God. Did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> Jesse, what do you got? Um, can we talk about the uh, lost in hyperspace? Is it too early for that? No, go for it. Okay. So here's what I don't understand about the whole thing. And maybe I'm missing something. So that's why I asked questions. So they go into hyperspace to get the big ship. It's a ship, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So they go in and they get the big ship, right? Yep. But in the process, they lose a fighter and they're just going to leave him there. Well, like I don't understand. Like I don't understand. Like you, you went, you sent fighters to get the big ship. One of your fighters died. The main guy like blew up, right? But the other one is like my tracking system is off. Whatever, you know, I'm shooting in the direction that you need to travel. Leave me. Like where is fucking everybody else? It's like let's go get him. Like we're not. We don't leave one of ours behind. We'll save somebody else, but we're gonna leave our own. Mike, I saw your hand pop up. Were you gonna respond to that? Uh, this also bothered me. Um, the thing I was going to add to this argument is the fact that earlier in the episode, we've established that the Cortez has scout ships. So not only were they going to leave this dude behind, but the Cortez was like, well, thanks, buddy. We'll see you later. Peace and out. He's going to make no effort to go try to retrieve him also. Right. Does the Cortez just... have scout ships or do scout ships follow the Cortez after the Cortez goes? Cortez goes first, yeah. builds some jump gates. And then scout ships come after. They, but they talked about the captain of the Cortez and his somebody being on a ship that wasn't the Cortez. Oh. I will say to that was when Jess- they encountered the shadows. Oh, well, I mean, maybe a land. I don't know. I will say to Jesse's point: not only is this a big ship, and trust me, I'm not trying to defend the writing too much here. Not only is this a big ship, it is one of the biggest ships ever. I mean, if you look at it next to B five, it's the size of B five. It's huge. Sure. So trying to find that versus a Star Fury in the middle of nothing, you're going to be a lot easier finding that ship than the Star Fury. So if you send more fighters out there, you're probably going to lose more fighters. But it's Kefler. You can't leave Kefler. Like, it didn't make any sense. He's it on made... the opening credits. <laughs> you can't leave him. <laughs> yeah. he can't I knew die. he wasn't going to die because he's not he's a main what character are you, what are you talking about the other fighter pilot that we'd never seen before that joined them at dinner and then got exploded in hyperspace i had no idea that was going to happen yeah. <laughs> between the squadron leader and keffer who's going to get hit by a shadow ship oh, and ain't keffer <laughs> you can't kill off the apollo of babylon 5 what's wrong with you guys oh he's apollo now <laughs> oh, now he is yeah basically the that's true that's true 5. he's been promoted yes blake what do you got so I'm just wondering, you know, some of the commentary on the acting and direction in this episode, you know, looking back to some of JMS's comments, uh, one of the things he specifically commented on was the bit in hyperspace where the Cortez ran into its issue. And he talks about the director asking if they could do some, you know, fritzing, sparking, fire type stuff. And JMS said specifically, he did not want to have huge, huge amounts of flame. He just wanted a few small sparks and maybe a bit of smoke, but he was off doing something else during the filming. And ended up with the scene we got where, you know, there's explosions, people flying around the bridge. 
and all of that. So I'm kind of wondering how much, because we've seen this a couple of times where some directors thinking specifically The Gathering, for example, mm -hmm. you know, how many times have directors run amok with um, things in this particular show and not necessarily followed the vision that JMS had? And I kind of think that uh, contributes some to this episode also. Yeah. And I mean, in the piece with, you know, rescuing the ship, I think there's, you know, the example they used of the lifeboat service that would go out and form the line. I mean, in any type of rescue, there's the chance that someone involved in the rescue gets lost. So I didn't so much have a problem with that. Um, and to JMS's credit, he also says he, his best attempts are to avoid techno jargon in regards to hyperspace. So I think he's just kind of going with it is what it is. I, I don't I don't have a problem with that part of it either. As far as the, you know, it was a it was an acceptable loss for the mission. And one man versus a whole crew full of people on the ship was definitely the right move. But I'm still going to argue, and, and even more so now that Scott pointed out that the Cortez is the same size as Babylon 5, you cannot tell me that bitch doesn't have a shuttle. <laughs> like, I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you, it probably has shuttlecraft, but I don't think it has scout ships, but yes. Okay. They could have done it something to help the guy that helped them. Yeah. <laughs> this plot is full of more holes than Swiss cheese. Jesus Christ. Weren't they in visual too? Like his whole, he was shooting his weapon so they could see him, right? So they were close enough to maybe. I think yeah, they could, they could wave at him as they passed him. <laughs> yeah, <they> <laughs> <did>. <laughs> the captain was so quick too, just to be like, oh, all right, well, I guess we're going to bounce. Thanks. Good right. luck. Well, here's the thing though. Again, not to defend the crappy writing too much, but he's launching projectiles to show him the way. If they wait too long to go try to help him and he can't shoot anymore or he loses aim, then they're both screwed. Well, couldn't they just shoot him out of the sky too? They're like, oh, in 30 minutes, you're going to be out of oxygen. So you're just going to, you know, suffocate. Who the hell wants oh, to So now you, don't, now you don't want to save him. You just want to kill the motherfucker. Listen, <laughs> We've escalated. If I'm going down, right? If I'm Kefir and I'm going, oh, don't follow me. I'm going to die heroic death. Blow me out of the sky. I don't want to suffocate. <laughs> Fucking out. Yeah, what do you put me out of my misery? This escalated quickly. Why don't you save him? Why don't you fucking kill him? Kevin, what do you got? I was also gonna jump on this a little bit. I didn't think that the some of the the lock on stuff in hyperspace made a lot of sense. Didn't seem like it was uh super well thought out because they they said that Keffer lost his navigation, but he just magically knows which way the lock-on signal would be, even though the Cortez having, I would imagine, more backup systems had no freaking clue where they were, and just flying in the right direction is going to get them out of trouble. It, it, didn't, it didn't seem to be the best thought-out thing I've ever seen, but I do appreciate the fact that this show does not get into Star Trek uh technical jargon techno babble quite as much anywhere near as much really um because that that is something that is off-putting to some sci-fi fans why am i the one who hates this episode and is defending the damn writing over and over again they said they were drifting the ship was drifting so navigation ain't gonna do crap when you're drifting around in gravity eddies Oh, shit, Scott, just admit it. Oh, I know. I'm just like, there's worse things about this episode, like the acting. John. Oh, yeah. Sure, we could definitely talk about, I, it was literally when they showed the Cortez and their little fireworks were going on. I mean, I was laughing that entire time during the various stages of jacket on, jacket off. What was me? I'm falling. Figure it out. You got it. Like that entire fucking sequence, I was rolling, laughing. 
hilariously laughing. But to go back to Kevin's point real quick, though. So maybe I missed it. So I thought the whole Kevin thing was super lame. I thought his ship was disabled. He was just like basically, like you said, floating. Like he, he just didn't have any control of the ship. He got like, clipped. Yeah, he got clipped by the same ship that took out the squadron leader. Yeah, his lateral thrusters were gone and so was his navigation. They said that. So then how was he able, like to Kevin's point, like, okay, so the ship is basically just flying rudderless. All of a sudden he sees the shadows and then it just comes back to life. I just thought it was so lazy. It, it repaired. It, it, yeah, it the, the ship repairs. was doing automatic repairs. And actually it says in audio, uh, from, you know, thrusters back online or whatever. So it, it was repairing itself. That's lazy writing. So oh, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying it was actually said in the script. What happened? So it has a little R2D2, the end. <laughs> just gonna say that. Popped uh, out and drove to the back of the ship and went beep, beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did want to talk a little bit more about Delenn. I know Justin uh, mentioned it. First, I want to put it in the chat. Is it, it's odd that she was hotter as a full on Minbari because I thought Mira Furlan looks better with the bald dome, but. Uh, I agree. I disagree. Someone on, I don't know if it was our YouTube comments or our Facebook comments, somebody mentioned it may be because of the eyebrows. She doesn't have eyebrows and it's throwing people off. And I can see that. That's something that Talk maybe. Talk about sexist remarks, guys. I, you know. Wow. For me, for me it's the hair. The, the hair looks weird, like when it's like shaped yes. around that bone. <laughs> it actually goes under the bone if you look at it too. So the bone yeah. has some gaps. Yeah. I... <laughs> It's not good. It's not good. But I wanted to talk about, so the one thing that's made me think of, I guess, so this chrysalis process does not seem to be like common at all. Like when we first had it, I thought it was something that the Minbari, I mean, obviously they don't do all the time, but it seemed, or at least the impression I got was that it was, it was something, right? Everyone knew, everyone knew about it or knew what it would do, knew, you know, seemed to have that, that knowledge. And then in this episode, you know, they're flat out questioning, are you even Minbari anymore? It made it seem like, oh, maybe this chrysalis thing isn't that well known. Perhaps it's maybe it's part of this crazy religious sect and it's even, you know, even further out. So that part threw me a little bit. Real quick, before we get into the Lynn stuff, the one last thing I want to say about the acting on the, the Cortez, I also loved with all the explosions and the jumping around and everything else. Why is everyone yelling at each other the entire time? <laughs> even when the explosions are done. We're talking to each other right next to each other, but we're going to yell all the time. I was like, God, would you please just stop acting, please? Because it's not working for you. Emily, good. Okay, I'm kind of with John on the chrysalis thing, because when it first started, it seemed like, or at least certain groups might be more familiar with it, but the end result of the process isn't always the same. So there might be some confusion on what happened. So maybe the issue is just because she's an ambassador and if she didn't have that rank it wouldn't be that big of a deal but i do find it kind of interesting that she's now in a position where her authority is being questioned and her response is basically you don't need to understand shit you just need to follow directions you know <laughs> and i i think that's a very um delicate situation to be in for her it i have a feeling this it might not go well, point. <laughs> if she just gives that star stuff speech, which lame, uh, maybe it'll all work out for her. Do not knock Carl Sagan. Hey, sir. that Do was definitely a Carl no. Sagan reference, okay? Yeah. Listen, lame come from him, lame come from her. Oh, you're going to get so Ooh. much hate mail. You can send your hate mail. This is even worse than me making fun of Kubrick. You can't make fun of Carl Sagan on a sci-fi podcast, sir. <laughs> send your hate <laughs> mail to John at gray17podcast at gmail.com. Just say, apparently, Kubrick only fucked up once, but... Uh, what? <laughs> Every film. What? 
Here we uh, go again. Down over this again. <laughs> not going to go down this road. Nicole, save us from the terrible <laughs> opinions of Andrew and John, please. So this is not Dylan related, but I just wanted to point out there was one other positive thing that I noticed right off the bat on the episode. Just the very first opening scene. The graphics are so much better this yeah. season, like just so much better. So that was really cool. I just wanted to point that out. I mean, th- as much as I make fun of the explorer ship and its own theme song, they put a lot of effort into the explorer ship. There's a lot of little detail for a very, you know, rudimentary CGI. There's a lot of detail in there. You look inside the ship when it's going by and everything else. They they put some time on that thing. Yeah, it was and for really- a ship, you really only see a handful of times, actually. Yeah, there yeah. was there was one ship that I saw. I couldn't tell if it was I, I wrote it down because I wanted to bring it up. I couldn't tell if it was just downward facing antenna or was it the wires that were hold, was holding up a model? I, well, they I, don't I, use I models. So it okay, wasn't okay, so, so they were so they were antenna. OK, yeah, no, because okay. JMS flat out his decision when they first made the show was we're not going to do any model work because it's too damn expensive. That's why they went to CGI. Really? It wasn't it wasn't uh, to like. Uh, be the first and to try something new was they couldn't afford the model work so they did cgi instead that's a good clarifying point because we we kind of talked about that but not only i mean i guess the clarifying point is that it isn't ever a mix it is 100 percent cgi there is aside from like you know principal photography when you have actors there is no model work at all even like when we see them walking up to ships like there was a scene um in another episode we didn't like where his, uh, garibaldi's um you know niece or whatever is leaving the ship and she walks onto a ship that was all cgi she walked up a little bit of stairs on a step and that was it oh yeah so there yeah. is no model work in this show <laughs> didn't very obvious sorkin walk and talk with yeah he did that was nice well, I think that's another way that they're showing off the budget, going back to Nicole's point, is we can now have these actors walk through a couple hallways and not cut because we've actually built onto the sets now. We have the Zocalo has been built up. Uh, we have the fighter bay now. We have a lot of new sets that we had. Did not, we have another angle of Sheridan's once was Sinclair's office. So they put a lot of effort uh, between seasons yeah. to beef this up. Well, especially in comparison to what, the video you showed us of Londo walking through the <laughs> season one. So quite yeah, a walking through the hedgerows that go to an exit sign. Yeah. Yep. I had something about Delenn. Um, Kevin, please. I I really her her amount of Zen, even when she is annoyed, is really admirable. And I thought I thought a lot of her lines, uh, even aside from um, the star stuff comment at the end where she's talking about how uh, the universe puts you in the right place at the right time to learn, I thought was a, a really very DC Fontana um, line set that I really liked. Uh, but I, I enjoyed that scene. I thought that uh, it, it was a it was a nice um, conversation between her and Sheridan. As much as John wants to shit on the Carl Sagan quote, I, I have used that quote on my kids telling them exactly that when they're like when they start getting older and start asking about what life is like well you are made of the same stuff that everything else is made of and none of your uh none of the material in you could be made except for in the heart of a star that's how we make iron and carbon and everything else so you are from a star the end and the other part i was going to comment on is you know there's the egyptian blessing that sheridan mentions is that comes from a harlan ellison short story which actually scott was made into a twilight zone episode i believe Mm -hmm. uh, paladin of the lost hour Mm -hmm. so you know that came from harlan ellison which is a huge influence on jms 
I wanted to point out this one uh, Sheridan quote just because of how applicable I think it is to today's sort of political climate uh, where he says, I wrote it down word for word. If the primates that we came from had known that someday politicians would come out of the gene pool, they, they'd have stayed up in the trees with and written evolution off as a bad idea. That a was a good line. Yeah, as a, a recovering line. politician, bite me. I posted that on my Facebook a couple of years ago and I still stand by it. Yes. He, he clearly, the character is struggling with the fact that he now is having to do very day to day, you know, duties that he finds to be uh, pretty ridiculous. And as a manager, I have some understanding for that, but um it, it, it that that's one of my favorite quotes of the series but it's such a 180 so when he first showed up he was all like oh i found about that's the job it's diplomacy it's this and it's this and it's this and then all of a sudden this episode it's like a hard stop and he was like no this job sucks and i don't want to do it and i got all this paper on my desk to scott's point and like he just turned into a giant baby because you've never taken a job where you're excited to get the job and then you realize what the job entails and you're like oh shit right i, I didn't well, like this job put- Earlier in the episode, he was telling um, Maynard, he was like, oh, yeah, that was just the first day. Ha, ha, ha. This was all fun. But he, actually- wants to, he wants to impress a mentor and friend and not admit to himself that he's struggling, not not necessarily doing the job, but with liking the job. That's exactly why Ivanova called him on it. Since your friend showed up, you have been not yourself because he caught he realized he's not happy because his friend jealousy. showed up. Yeah. Well, like how yeah. shitty he got with Garibaldi. You know, yeah, he wanted that ship or if not the Cortez, he wanted an explorer ship. That's what he wanted. And his friend has it. And he knows now he's he's writing a desk. He's never going to get it. Is it impressing your friends if you cheers with a bottle of water? Is that impressive? <laughs> hey, you know, space bottled water. Thank you. <laughs> At least it wasn't Dasani. You get oranges, but we've got space bottled water. Oranges. <laughs> thank you for reminding me, John. This episode was written for you, John. How many times have you bitched about the damn oranges? The guy goes into it. It's about uh, weight. It's about cargo. It's about how much it costs to move stuff around. They answered all your damn orange questions and your coffee questions in this episode. I did appreciate Again, Miguel Nunez did a great job. I did appreciate that uh, portion as well. That's the minutiae that we need to get into. That's what I care about. Not the starfighters, not all the bullshit. I need to know Babylon 5's food economics. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you are alone. Supply sir. chain management. <laughs> <laughs> so John is a bureaucrat is what he's saying. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into questions and predictions from our newbies. For those who are just joining us, and I have no idea why you'd be joining us for a distant star. But if you are, our newbies uh, ask questions, predictions, and then we jettison them out the airlock, and then the folks who have seen the show all the way answer those questions beyond the rim. So let's go Nicole first. Questions and predictions, Nicole. Question, and this may be because I have not watched the last episode, which is my fault, but why the hell does Ivanova have a cane? Did she get hurt in the last episode? Yes, she had a drowsy fall on her leg. You should go back and watch. I I need to. I know, I need to. I just didn't have time to watch it before this episode. I'll actually say she actually was injured on set. Uh, Claudia Christian was and so they wrote into the episode that Adrazi fell on her leg and for the next couple episodes she's going to be healing because Claudia broke her leg wow okay well that was my fault for not watching that episode Um, I don't really have any questions except for maybe how many more people are going to see the creepy murder shadow ships before they like become 
a little bit more in depth and ingrained in the story. But my prediction, Sheridan and Delenn are definitely going to smash. Definitely. <laughs> God, you guys love to ship Delenn and everybody, don't you? It's because she's so freaking flirty. Like every time she looks at somebody, she's got these gooey doe eyes. Like Emily still thinks her and Sinclair are still married. So <laughs> she's not going to cheat on Sinclair, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's go to Andrew next. Question and predictions. So uh, going back to what Nicole was saying about the creepy creepy spider murder ships, I my prediction is that Mr. Morden and the Shadow People are slowly and secretly accumulating an army, and it kind of makes me want to go back and rewatch certain scenes in season one, see if uh, maybe there's one like maybe in the background when someone's coming through the through the gate. This is uh, why. This is why uh, us first ones love watching this show over and over again because you catch something new. Every time, every time. Are you telling me that there there are? No, I'm not. I'm not giving you that one example. Like, oh yeah, if you go back to this episode, there's a shadow ship. No, I'm just saying the JMS definitely feeds you stuff throughout the show that you aren't catching until you know what's next. Going back to Sheridan's quote about politicians uh, and how he feels like that's all he is now. Another prediction I have is that Sheridan will find a way to uh, resign or get himself fired from his position at Babylon Five. You guys are just trying to get rid of all good old Bruce Boxleitner. He just showed up four episodes ago, and you're trying to get rid of him already. I see how no, it is. Fuck, fuck Bruce Boxleitner. Hey, uh, hey sir. <laughs> as a child of the 80s, bite me. Whoa. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love the fact that that uh, was delayed, Kevin. That was the yeah, best I know. part. <laughs> I, had to, I had to get myself on me. You know, God damn it. He's insulting Bruce. <laughs> the boomer. Whoa. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, one more uh, a question. Uh, they kind of because they kind of danced around it. They never really. I don't think they ever really gave a clear answer. But like, is Delenn still like truly a Mimbari? She's more Mimbari than she ever was. She told you. Yes, that was her answer. But I know that doesn't make it true. <laughs> Let's go, to John. Next questions, predictions. All right, I have a bunch of questions. Um, I'm shocked. Well, so right. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, okay, so uh, a legit question for those listening: Is anyone actually a fan of this episode? Like, legit, the Facebook group, Patreon, whatever. Like, is anyone a fan of? Does anyone actually like this episode? Not the weirdos on this crew who said they liked it. Looking at you, Blake. Looking at you, Kevin. Looking at you, Mike. But like, are there any? He's not looking at me this time. Yay! Are there any actual fans of this episode? I real quick, John. I, as we were started talking, I went back and looked. I've mentioned this before, and this is how our tournament was set up for uh, the bracket for season one. Lurker's Guide did what they call the P5 score, which had people for years, and it was back when it was first airing, rate these episodes on a scale of one to ten. I will say that Distant Star was rated as 7.34, which is the 11th least liked episode of the entire series. By the way, Infection and TKO are one and two for least like. I will also say there is one more episode coming up in season two that actually rates lower than this on the P5 score. But then after that, there's only one episode in the entire show that rates lower than this. So there's only two, according to the P5 score, there's only two episodes left that are worse than this. And one, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you all on that comes up in season three. Fantastic. Uh, okay, so questions. So this explorer ship, right? So he was talking about being on the outer rim and they're like charting mapping space. So my question is, is that because humans themselves like want to get their own map of the cosmos? Because I, 
I would imagine that obviously other species, like the Minbari, the Narn, Vorlons, all of them have mapped what the known universe. Um, or is it a matter of they're still mapping the known universe and the humans are just joining in? So I guess more questions about um, what humans are doing in terms of their charting of the stars. Old people ch- chime in with this too, because um, I don't think this is something that's a spoiler, but I think there's twofold here. One, in a lot of sci-fi, and John, you know this, you watch sci-fi, humans are usually shown as the explorer types more so than others. Like even Mimbarium have said, they're kind of set in their ways. They know what they're going to do and they're going to hang out where they're going to hang out. So I think they are, the humans are pushing the envelope more than most. But also, if you are a Centauri or a Narn or whatever, are you really going to give all your star charts to a brand new uh, race that's just shown up on the, the scene? Or are you going to let them kind of figure it out for themselves so you don't have to worry about giving them stuff they shouldn't know about? Give them? No. Would I put it past the humans to steal them? Yes. But okay, I mean, it, it makes sense. I just wasn't sure if there was, uh, you know, in like the books or in some of the other stuff they got into a little bit more. Um, other question. Okay, so I also wonder about the technology. So I know we said, oh, JMS doesn't like to get into the jargon. I would like to know where we're at, though, right? So there's seemingly a pill to get rid of drunkenness. But Franklin's going old school keto with the diets. Like you got iron deficiencies. You got you can't just take a pill for that. You just can't. We, we're not in a spot where I could take a pill and just be in the best shape of my life always. I don't know where we're at techno- like tech-wise with that. Clearly uh, not. Yeah, it, well, That's your answer. It doesn't make any sense. I, I think that goes back to the, this isn't Star Trek. In Star Trek, we wave a little, uh, you know, a little thing in front of your face and we cure cancer. This isn't Star Trek. What I'm saying is, okay, so who, what's our priorities here, right? High blood pressure. I mean, we have a pill for that now, but like, up, oh, don't care. Drunk and need to get rid of it. Well, we've got our best minds on it. We've developed a pill to solve it. That is, I don't understand where our priorities are, but like, I guess that tracks, it makes sense where we're at now too. We got boner pills. We haven't cured cancer. I get it. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> on that though, it got me thinking about the other alien species diets, right? Cause we've talked, so we've seen the humans, they're clearly eating current human food. I don't remember off the top hearing or seeing much of the other species, what they eat uh, outside of the Pacamara without eating dead things. But like <laughs> one, <clears throat> does each species have their own very specific and distinct, um, food? And diet. And then two, is there any, you know, I asked this in another episode about cross breeding, but is there any cross eating? Are humans eating non food or Narns eating, do Narns enjoy oranges? Like what's, what's going on? Uh, well, in TKO, aren't they eating fish that like that are from like the Centauri? They've touched on it a couple of times. We know Garibaldi's gotten down on some weird alien fruit. Yeah. Some I think even in this tomato. episode, well, and I, and I and I think even in this episode, your best friend, uh, Dr. Franklin, John, um, said something about uh, it makes his job a lot harder because humans are eating a lot of alien food as well. Mike, I thought you were going to say Garibaldi's gotten down on and I thought your sentence was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, but I think those are the only questions I have. Predictions, not really much. Again, this episode didn't really leave much out there. Okay, let's go to Justin next. Questions, predictions. Really, the only question I have is in kind of watching how the the shadow ships operate in hyperspace kind of reminds me of Species 8472 in a way and kind of how it kind of uses some kind of weird physics 
coming from liquid space and that kind of i know that the like, like the shadow people have zaha doom and stuff like that like they've taken that planet but it says almost infers that it comes from somewhere else so i'm my my question is is the shadow people some kind of extra dimensional being kind of something similar to what we saw with species 8472 in liquid space um but in terms of what that? Other what people was that, that color I said, what the fuck is that? I don't know what you've species 7240 and a half. It's from the worst Star Trek series ever. And okay. just leave it at that. Agreed. And yeah, but... come at me. Voyager sucks. No. <laughs> I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. It's just that's <laughs> that's just kind of what that whole all reminds me of. So it was the best way to describe it, I guess. But um two predictions. One, I think we're gonna start seeing a lot more power plays within the within the Mimbari and their relationship and how they interact with um Delin and stuff like that. And then my red string prediction uh for the day is Mimbari and humans have some kind of common extraterrestrial ancestor, which will kind of explain um Delin's transition a little bit better and which will kind of explain the whole Mimbari soul thing uh traveling to humans. Jesse, question and predictions. <laughs> none. I have none. Um, I do have I have a question, I guess, about today's the first day I ever listened to the intro. So now it makes sense about your comment about this is the year the Great War came to us or whatever it is. Yeah. I guess I don't know what that is. And um I don't know why they're ruining things for us, but you know, it's fine. I guess we Wait, can do you want to discuss the intro? Because we've had about three of them now. Yeah. This no, is actually so about I... the third intro this season, and this is the final one. So when they originally recorded the intro, they uh, had Bruce Boxleitner do the audio narration. They did not have the video done yet. So he just sort of winged it, and it never did align right. So like nothing in the intro made sense. The narration didn't align. Right. Uh, so they redid it. Oh, and Delin didn't have hair. Yeah, and Delin didn't have hair in the original. They changed the picture. Um, this time they tweaked it. They recorded it where he actually had the video playback. Uh, so they they redid the credits a few times in this one. But th that is one knock on the series is the spoilers uh, in the credit in the opening intro in this season in particular are a little bit much. Yeah. So I haven't I haven't ever watched it because I feel like we had a conversation at one point about how that could happen and I couldn't get to it before I could skip it. And by that time I was just coloring and being lazy. So I listened to it and um, I was like, Oh, well now I'm make sense about Scott saying something about this great war. So Emily questions, predictions. Yeah. It's more of a question. I'm wondering if the little shadowy murder spider things actually live in hyperspace. Like that's their dimension and they're getting pissy about it being used for travel or if they just you know hang out there periodically to attack ships that go through because they don't want more ships going to the rim and doing more exploring because uh they're that's where they exist and they don't want to be invaded cool. why are they there <laughs> get off my lawn Damn right it. okay well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the conversation there. We're going to jettison the newbies out there, lock, and we're going to answer these amazing questions and predictions from this amazing episode, Beyond the Rim, with Mike, Kevin, Blake, and myself. So until next week when we discuss – oh, my God, I should have looked. Hold on. I would, I got right here. It's oh, the really? dark. That, that one? Okay. So until next week. <laughs> Is it two shitty ones in a row? Uh, what the fuck? Yes. 
I'm just going to tell you, yes. I will say. If you hate it, it must be really fucking bad. I will say, Blake and I both said, Blake and I have said many times that season two takes a little bit to get firing on all cylinders. (laughs) Just leave it at that. So until next week, when we talk about The Long Dark, I have been Scott, and with me as always has been... Blake. Emily. Jesse. Nicole. Justin. John. Andrew. Kevin. And Mike. And don't forget to like, subscribe, hit that notify button if you're on YouTube. And remember, for the next two weeks, we're going to be watching. Somebody who sends out an Apple review will get my 30-year-old John Sheridan action figure. So be sure to send in an Apple review as well. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, a final spoiler warning. If you have not watched past A Distant Star and you do not want to get spoiled, this is where you should exit. If not, we're going to dive into the newbies' questions and predictions. And guys, shockingly, there's not much here, uh, but let's go ahead and dive into it. So the first question we have is, what is the Great War that's referred to in the opening credits? Well, they're referring to the Shadow War in the opening credits, but it's not the only war we're going to see between now and the end of the series. There's also the uh, the Civil War with the humans. Yeah, but I think in terms of the Great War. Yeah, is, they're referring yeah. to the Shadow War. Yeah, for sure. yeah. yeah, but I mean, we're also going to see tensions between the Centauri and the Narn heat up here, too. So. That, too, right. But the really, war all many pieces are related. I mean, it's yeah, all yeah. sure. It's all part of the Shadow's machinations and the greater war between the the shadows and the vorlons which i mean we even have seen that in our own history look at you know afghanistan as a proxy between the soviets and the us and other places where there's been these you know proxy wars that have all played into these larger conflicts i I really think you know the great war there's all these little pieces but it all rolls up into this same you know galaxy-wide conflict that's that's a great point blake and just because the shadows get pulled off the board actually relatively quickly. I mean, technically we still got the Drock floating around for years after this as well, too. And the telepath war is going to be spurred from the chaos the shadow sowed. So yeah, it's, it's a whole one big thing. That's correct. Are shadows in extra dimensional beings? No, but we'll have those later in a really terrible made for TV movie. <laughs> now they're just, they're just, old races and we're going to see a lot more of that we've actually seen a few of them already the newbies just don't know it yet but they're old races that are going to be still playing in the playground even though the new folks are in town and shouldn't be picked on yeah and we definitely see where they're where the newbies are coming from on that because the shadows at this point we know next to nothing about and really the most concrete sightings we've seen of them have been in hyperspace so they're they're 
we get where the question comes from, but mm-hmm. yeah. well, and even yeah. when you look at how in what we'll see later, is you see how shadow ships even come in and out of space. You know, they don't use a jump gate; they just sort of ripple and fade in, and they're gone. And then they're in hyperspace. Same thing with the shadows themselves. When they make an appearance, they can either be seen or not. So I can definitely see where they're at with that. It's, it's definitely an interesting. Yeah, which was interesting in this episode when you see the shadow ship in hyperspace open a jump gate to exit hyperspace. That was kind of yeah <laughs> curious. But uh, let's see. Uh, are we going? <laughs> How many more people are going to see the shadows before they become known? Pepper's uh... going to see him again. <laughs> yeah we'll just say a few uh and and then do the shadows live in hyperspace are they getting territorial um uh, no not about that at all no and i think this actually this came up in the lurker's guide um so this was a question that was around from the beginning is what the heck are the shadows doing in hyperspace and also too we see that shadow ship blow through the squadron leader and clip keffer but did they intend to do that? Were they just in their way? And there's some machination about, do the shadows even care about the humans? And then another point maybe is because we know that there is a secret alliance between the shadows and the humans that they just leave them alone because they knew they were human ships. There's, there's a lot of unanswered questions there. Yeah. And I'm surprised none of the newbies jumped on that fact that the yeah. shadow ship didn't technically attack anybody it just kind of plowed through them like it didn't care and it's like a deer on the highway and it also didn't react in any way after it knew that it happened if it even knew that it happened well it's like uh jakar's quote uh to Catherine sakai when you pick up the ant the ant's yeah. like what was that you have no idea the shadow ship just blew through you so uh is let's move because that's our shadow question so let's move into our one delin question and that is is delin still a minbari i mean sure she she is her psychological makeup hasn't changed at all just that now she's she's a um you know a bit of a bridge between the minbari and the humans or at least she she will be more so later on but she's definitely still minbari I mean, and it I raises mean, interesting questions, right? Because, I mean, what they're getting at is, is she genetically still a Mimbari? And, and it's, it's a question of identity, right? Like, are you still who you are, even though you're physically changed? I think that's the interesting part. And and this is going to get into some of those time travel, what came first pieces. But, and it's funny, the, the newbies seem to think that this is the chrysalis is something that's been frequently used by the Membari. We know of its use twice. And we've talked about this before in Beyond the Rim. It was used by Sinclair to become Valen and then used by Tadalyn to transition to her current appearance. You know, I would argue that what it did in Delin's case was not so much change her DNA, but rather activate DNA that's already within the Membari genetic makeup because we know there's descendants of Sinclair amongst the Membari. Well, and we know that Delin is one of them because she shined when they had the um, Triluminary. So she's got yep. Valen DNA, which means she is a descendant of Sinclair. Uh, a thousand years removed, but she is a descendant. It, it's it's interesting. I'm looking at this from my, with my 2023 goggles on, but I did really appreciate the discussion of transition in this episode. Uh, and even like the Minbari who just popped up in her quarters was kind of hesitant even to like label it like after your now transition or whatever. So it's, it's interesting. And of course this could have been a lot more 
if they had gone with the original plan of making Dylan male to female. But even in this case, it's interesting that this show is discussing these kind of topics, even rudimentarily, 30 years before now. Also, too, we haven't seen like an ultrasound or anything, but she obviously has more human parts than what she did before because she is going to be able to breed with Sheridan down the road. So I don't know if Mimbari usually have wombs, but she has one now. Yeah, I mean, and I think the deeper philosophical question here is whether you are genetically more human or less Mimbari, but you're mentally the same person does that matter and who does it matter to yeah and that's going to be a huge conversation point that's going to be throughout the rest of this show um especially when we get to the uh inner workings of the gray council or the gray 17 council as kevin puts it (laughs) (laughs) uh working with uh being ostracized and then being brought back into the fold that was justin but that's fine oh yeah justin's (laughs) gray 17 podcast see because you said earlier that you guys get mixed up so yes i i think that's one of the reasons why there's elements of the show that are are so timeless um even though there's elements of it that are not um that some of some of these philosophical questions are in some ways even more timely now than they were in the 90s yeah if if the reboot happens god willing and uh you know any of the original plan resurfaces in that reboot i can't wait for it to be labeled as woke yeah speaking of the original plan uh we will be releasing a bonus episode i don't entirely know when but it will be after this episode and that is uh, a discussion of the four of us talking about the original plan which is actually based on a very lengthy memo that jms wrote about the original 10-year Babylon 5 plan. So we'll get more detail on that here shortly as well, too. So be looking for that bonus episode. So let's move into prediction, guys. So first prediction we have is we will see a lot more power plays with the Mimbari and more tension with Dylan. Yeah. Yes. We will (laughs) see a great deal more of that. Um, It'll be a multi-episode arc built around this. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing. We we, we see the the Centauri and the Narn fighting each other. We see the shadows playing off the humans and having that civil war, but then the Mimbari ripped themselves apart during this entire process too. Um, the destruction of the Grey Council after the warrior caste takes over the Grey Council and everything else. So there's a lot of drama they, to come. Do they ever allude to the shadows being having anything? I don't think. To do yeah, with I don't. That? I don't think they do. I don't no. think. I don't think shadows are playing that one because I think that. Uh, my my head cannon is the Mimbari are advanced enough to where the shadows don't want to mess with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got White Stars, which is the only kind of ship. Now, of course, the Mimbari made the White Stars with the Vorlons, and we haven't even seen them yet. But Mimbari obviously have advanced enough technology to where they could probably push the shadows in a little bit. So mm-hmm. I think the shadows would prefer to mess with the other races. Yeah. And at least with that, I think one of my favorite recurring characters in this whole show is Naroon. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the, the, we're going to get to see more of him uh, through that arc when we get into the Mimbari. And I think to your point, Kevin, I don't, in my own head canon, I don't see it as the shadows responsible. I think what affects the Mimbari is the battle of, you know, they're dealing with prophecy. They're dealing with faith and religion, basically, that there's this thousand year old prophecy and you have one caste who believes it as a religious doctrine and you've got another that doesn't. And then you've got this third that's caught between the two. 
You also got to that point too, Blake, is stagnation, which is a whole point with a lot of the older races. I mean, that's obviously what happens with the Vorlons and with the Shadows and the Mimbari as well, too. They just, they've been around for so long and set in their ways for so long. When anyone tries to change things, it becomes a hassle and a problem. And that's why you have the, the caste system falling apart as well, too, because of just cultural stagnation. Oh, and you, you also have that that age-old problem of the the military uh, seeing problems everywhere, even where there aren't aren't uh, aren't problems, and causing more of the uh, the conflict than they really should be. I was going to say, I I foresee this like it, it's this interesting thing with the Mimbari, where on one hand they come across as elevated and highly advanced, but at the same time they have a lot of the exact same problems still Mm -hmm. that everyone else does, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, in my, my head can, and I kind of look at it like the shadows are looking for places where they can, you know, cause dissent and chaos. And, and in my head can, it's less about them looking at the Minbari and going, I can't mess with them. And more like, I don't need to mess with them because I can foresee that they're going to make their own problems. That's a very good point. Yeah. Well, it seems like the religious cast and, you know, we don't know anywhere near as much about the worker cast, even even at the end of the series. But it seems like the religious cast is definitely more enlightened than the warrior cast in this in this uh, fictional. Uh, I don't know. Representation. I, mean, I, I see where you're going there, Kevin. But I mean, on the flip side, I bet you uh, uh, a military tactician, a warrior class person would say that the religious class are stuck in their ways and they're worried more about prophecy than actually moving the ball. Oh, it's it's totally both. I mean, I would argue that the more attached you are to your guns and your weapons and your spaceships, the more attached you are to the idea of needing or wanting to use them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people that... <laughs> stockpile guns and ammunition are the ones that see threats everywhere they look and are absolutely convinced that doom is around the corner at all times you know hey i've got my bunker ready (laughs) (laughs) okay let's move on so humans in mimbari have a common extraterrestrial ancestor that would explain delin's transition as well as the whole mimbari souls and human thing no but close And that was a hell of a prediction. (laughs) Yeah, a prediction from somebody who absolutely is not cheating. (laughs) We think. We've said this before. I'm fairly sure Justin watched the show and just doesn't remember he watched the show because he's way too damn close on some of these. Yeah, I've I've been trying to remember for weeks um, because he he really didn't watch the show when I did, but we were roommates at the time. But he, he, saw may your caught, he may have caught tidbits that he doesn't remember. But to his point, I mean, they do share a common ancestor, not the entire race, though. It is at a thousand years ago, Sinclair goes back and he starts mingling with Mimbari DNA when he becomes Valen. And as I already mentioned, we know Delin is a descendant of that because she has a triliminary. The one thing that kind of muddies the waters is... When Lanier talked about the missing souls, he said it's been going on for about 2,000 years. So I don't know if that was intentional by JMS or if he just hadn't gotten his timeline all figured out yet. I could work it out both ways in my head, but that's the one muddied of the waters there because we our timelines do not line up between when the souls start leaving or getting going missing and when Valen shows up. 
and or the Mimbari are just wrong about that. That could be a big book. And the question would be, I mean, somewhere Sinclair had to become Valen. Yeah. You know, there had to be something there that allowed Sinclair to become Valen. So, you know, that could make sense. And it just never got one of those threads that never got explored. You know, if those souls were somehow moving prior, that somewhere, somehow something was in Sinclair to make him, to allow him to become Valen to start mm, the whole cycle. I see what you're saying. Because so we know more. that um, the shadows and the Vorlons all manipulated and fucked with everybody. Yes. You know, all the races and all the species. So it's conceivably possible that they planted the seeds within the human race that would lead to Jeffrey Sinclair being able to become Valen. Well, and if you want to go back even farther, there I don't know of anything canon, and I may be wrong because I haven't read all the comics and novels, but we know the Vorlons and the Shadows have been messing with races long before humans were even around. So perhaps they are seeding worlds at this point too. So you may have common ancestry among all of them, which is why, and this is how Star Trek waved away the fact that everyone just looks like a uh, human with uh, weird ears or weird nose. Absolutely because... terrible episode. Yes. I actually, I liked the chase. It wasn't a bad uh, episode. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. Well, maybe it's not every race either, but it could be entirely possible that they and just definitely took a little the... bit of material from Minbari and seeded it on earth. And that was, and by the way, speaking of screwing with headcan, the precursor is the same person who played the female changeling in DS9. So are the changelings the precursors? Question mark? But that's for a DS9 podcast that I really want to do one day. I want to add one more thing oh, just because I thought it was funny when you said this about Sinclair going back in time and then, you know, mingling with Mimbari and now Delenn has a little bit of Sinclair in her. It's like, it's just the same way that like all of us to get a DNA test and we all have a little bit of Genghis Khan in us. <laughs> yes. Like, just how much mingling did Sinclair do? So... <laughs> Jesus. Morden and the shadows are gathering forces. Well, duh. <laughs> yeah. No, they're playing pinochle and just hanging out. <laughs> Morden and the shadow men, which is our new band. And I'm, I am working on some concert art for that. Uh, Morden and shadow men are absolutely playing, but the thing, what they don't recognize yet, and they will is, and we, this is something we've already discussed on this episode is it's not the first time. The shadows have returned and they're starting to play ball again, but this has been seeded for millennia and they're just, the cycle's just coming back, which every time I say that, I'm thinking more Mass Effect now because Mass Effect absolutely aped Babylon 5, but yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the shadows are exposing themselves more to the people in the universe. And uh, you don't want us uh, exposing, exposing ourselves. God, I love Ghostbusters too. <laughs> I truly do. I mean, yeah, you could argue that they're getting more aggressive, but we also will find out that they've been at it for probably quite a bit longer than the timeline we've seen. Yes. And again, I think it goes back to the question, do they even care? Do they care if they run into somebody in hyperspace? Yeah. As opposed to, they definitely don't want the people to know that they blew up the Narn ships. They absolutely don't want to know that. Yeah. But they don't care if they run over some Star Fury in hyperspace. It's just, they don't care. The Shadows don't want to be invaded and have more exploring done in their area. Um, well, they definitely don't want anyone knowing about Zaha Doom, but other than that, I'm not sure they care, to your point, Scott. The Shadows aren't, aren't a, it's not about being territorial them they're not trying to protect you know anything but the location of their home 
No. Their their whole goal is evolution. Survival of the fittest. They want to breed chaos, and those races that survive their chaos get to continue to grow. That's it. On the flip side of that is, as we'll learn from Dylan later, is they also don't want the shadows to know that they know they've returned because they're not ready. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. You know, that's a double-edged sword on that one is the shadows don't really want to be found. And as we'll see what becomes the army of light really doesn't want to have it known either what's going on. Which is why Jakar keeps getting ignored. And even to this early part of the show, and he'll be ignored for a whole nother season because they do not want Morden and his associates to know how much they're onto them already. And part of that again is because Sinclair warned them that this is going to happen. Yeah, it's a shame they couldn't let him in on that earlier, but he didn't make himself trustworthy until a lot later mm-hmm. in the series. Well, that's that's his entire character arc. Jakar proves to everybody that he is a trust, trustworthy individual through his actions. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is better for the character. If you Agreed. turn uh, yeah, if you turn around and say, okay, Jakar, here's actually what's happening, he hasn't earned that yet. Right. And he will through a lot of blood and pain. Yeah. But he will earn it. Well, and arguably, he's not that person yet either. And he no, has to go through those trials to right. become him. So then we get to Sheridan and Delenn are definitely going to hook up. <laughs> Leave um, it to our guys. We have some deep meta- uh, 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 questions about uh, space and civilizations. And then, yeah, Delenn and Sheridan are going to bang. <laughs> They're not wrong. They're not wrong. <laughs> I was actually surprised how much they telegraphed in this episode, uh, especially when he grabs her arm at the end. Well, doesn't grab her arm, but, you know, lightly touches her arm and they walk together. I'm like, oh, there, there's some thoughts there. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. But they, I think it was in the last one. That's true. Well, and then they leave this alone for quite a while. And to me, that storyline goes extremely quickly, almost to the point where, it's it's a little less believable than you know i've seen other romances on shows but they they do become friends first so you could argue that way but i i still think it was a little bit rushed at the end of the season because they really left the whole delenn and sheridan storyline alone for quite a while there were only very small snippets if anything for quite a while it's really after Alone in the Dark where it picks up, isn't it? I think that's right. the episode. Yeah, that sounds about right. And lastly, Sheridan won't be the captain for the entire rest of the series. Well, you know, they're through, right. He won't be. Yeah. He's, season five, he's the president. Right. So he will not be the captain for the whole series. And that comes from, uh, I guess, somebody on our Facebook group, shame on you, whoever you were, uh, mentioned Captain Lockley, but doesn't mean Sheridan's going to go away like Sinclair did. But yeah. Right. Well, there was that, and then there was also some speculation today about, uh, you know, whether Sheridan would uh, get the itch to go be Mister Explorer and, and leave the station behind. And uh, so it wasn't it wasn't strictly the spoiler that brought that prediction. Yeah, that's true. What I'm saying. I think it is rather to, though, because they're going to give him the Babylon Five equivalent of the Defiant. Yes, yes. <laughs> he gets his ship back. But also, I think it's interesting that the person who bemoans bureaucracy and bemoans politicians is going to be the leader of a galactic alliance. Yeah. So eat that. (laughs) Well, it just goes to show you that, you know, most people when they get into, um, you know, 40s, 50s, you know, middle age, you know, they sometimes will lament the direction that their their lives take whether they like it a lot or don't like it 
if it was unpredictable or would have been unpredictable to them in their earlier years, you know, that's a pretty common theme that you see. Kevin, would you like to sit on my couch and chat for sure. a while? Sure. Uh, yes, I would love to. Yes. <laughs> well, I kind but, of wonder, though, along that is thinking of some of these early comments about Sheridan and his comments on politicians and his thoughts about being in command of Babylon 5. When we get to uh, Alone in the Dark and he has that meeting with General Haig, you know, we kind of learned Sheridan's here under a ruse at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm kind of wondering how much of some of the writing is that? Is him playing the role he was put there to play versus the commander that he is or the captain that he is? Well, there's quite a bit of foreshadowing in that comment that uh, Captain Mayard says to him about, you know, sometimes the adventure comes to you, Johnny, wait for it. There's quite a bit of uh, I, I, foreshadowing I, in that. I like that, Blake, you know, because you like the the acting there. I don't I'm, I'm sure Boxliner wasn't told in advance, but even he kind of hesitates there before he answers and kind of mm-hmm. walks around the room and thinks about what he's going to say. So, yeah, I like that. That definitely works better for me. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Anything else you guys want to talk about? about this episode that was amazing <laughs> although you you three liked it i you three liked I, it. I do like this one i don't i don't think it was worthy of the heaping helping of hate that the other newbies put on it i mean it's, it's i would agree it's, yeah. my, not, my big... it's not great it's not space shakespeare but it was a fine episode my big my biggest issues with the episode are twofold one the acting is atrocious especially yeah. from the captain not Sheridan, the other yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, he just looks like he's reading off cue cards on an SNL skit. It was very bad. You're right. 100%. But also, we spent a good 20 to 25 minutes of the episode before we got into the episode. I understand mm-hmm. you had to kind of do the what is the Cortez, what is going on here, but we didn't get into the hyperspace issue until the third act or fourth act. And at that point, I'm just like, oh, my God, when is this going to be done? I'm checking my watch. Yeah, they could have started that sooner and thrown a twist or something in the middle to spice it up a little to make the episode actually about that and not about garlic the other spice yeah that's the other thing too the the the, the bad humor of the franklin garibaldi stuff did not help the episode no and you know normally the b plots they haven't always been poignant you know there have been a couple of b plots that were almost comic relief which this one 1000 percent was and it to me this b plot even though it was humorous also did absolutely nothing to advance anyone's character yeah. it, it brought nothing to the show other than garibaldi talking about his dad a little bit but that was such a small aspect to i mean even bring it up but you, you you'd say that and i honestly sat there thinking like is this even real this to get his pasta <laughs> i could see that for sure i mean it's i don't know about I, the family I, I can't, I can't uh, get wrap my head around uh, dipping uh, anything in anchovy stuff. But yeah. I'm, other I'm, than I'm that, it does sound pretty good. I say, I, I've had this at a restaurant, and I've actually made it myself. <laughs> it actually is really good. Okay. Okay. What's it? Uh, we should have a tasting of Bacchata at some point, I would yeah, imagine. It was, it's honestly, you don't get... I'm going to say it's the same way as, you know, Caesar dressing has anchovy in it, but you don't taste that, you know, it doesn't have that fishiness to it. It's more yeah. of like a salty. It, it's the same thing in this. Honestly, I did not oh, know that. Yeah, I never want Caesar dressing again. Well. <laughs> You're welcome, fans that had no idea that was in your Caesar you dressing. Just, Blake just ruined Caesar salad for everybody. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. 
one more service I offer here. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, let's go ahead and end it there, guys. We'll be back next week to talk The Long Dark. Again, please remember to like, subscribe, follow. We really appreciate it. And give us that feedback and reviews. Uh, so we can continue to help the channel grow. And if you want to help us out more, you can support us at Patreon or Redbubble with merch or support monthly. That would be great. And uh, thanks. And until next week, I'm Scott. And with me as always has been Blake, Kevin, and Mike. And we're almost through the first half of season two, we promise. Sorry, Jeff <laughs> and Brent. Sorry. All my life I've fought against imperialism. Now suddenly I am the expanding Russian frontier. But with very nice borders.